This week on the Emancipation Nation podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Marissa Kokoros from Canada, and she does some really cool stuff. And I want to be able to discuss this with somebody else. So I brought on uh, a co-host this week, Lisa Belton. She has her master's degree in social work, and um, she has uh, some years experience evaluating social service programs and She's also my daughter, and she spent some time with us at the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute. Um, She was also an intern for our local county commissioner, and so she would participate on our local anti-trafficking coalition on behalf of the county commissioner. And so I thought I'd bring her in today to also listen to the podcast and sort of get some feedback Um, from her perspective on what Marissa has to say. So I'm glad you could be here, Lisa. Um, I'm also uh, excited to be here. And uh, yes, I do know a little bit about human trafficking after years of of living with with you and (laughs) studying under (laughs) you. So, but I am excited to be here and discuss um, what Marissa has been doing. Good. So we're going to start the interview right now and we'll be back on the back end. the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern-day slaves but love passion commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate learn the how I'm Dr. Celia Williamson director of the human trafficking and social justice Institute at the University of Toledo welcome to the emancipation nation podcast where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods policy and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast. Today we have Marissa Kokoros, and she runs a project called Aura Freedom. So she started her journey in women's rights doing field work with different organizations around the world. Her passion is watching the ripple effects of placing knowledge and power into the hands of women and advocating for governments to address the root causes of violence and exploitation. Marissa is also an active community leader in Toronto, lending her experience to different projects around the city on top of her work with Aura Freedom International. So welcome, Marissa. I'm so happy to, I feel like we're a kindred spirit, so I'm so happy that you're able to join me today. I'm so happy to be here. I, I feel the same way about you. Yeah, great to be here, Celia, and thank you. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the Peer Prevention Project. What is that? Yeah, I would love to speak about that project because um, it's my favorite project here at Aura Freedom. Um, we were working on anti-trafficking, or I like—I prefer to say human trafficking prevention here at Aura Freedom for a while. And there was an opportunity to receive some funding from the city of Toronto here, so actual government funding here for um, a seed project. And we had something in mind based on the work that we were doing in the city that this should be youth-led this should be peer-led, this should be youth-informed. And we thought that the awareness we were doing and the advocacy and outreach we were doing should be done by youth, for you. Mm -hmm. And so we put a proposal together for a really progressive project that was just 
12 months and six months of that project. So half of that time was just training for the youth we were going to hire. The city of Toronto approved it and said, this sounds interesting. Let's see what you got. So what we did was we put a call out and we had 42, I think I remember this is going back a few years now, 42 youth apply. Um, And we wanted uh, youth from marginalized communities, youth who were racialized, who perhaps had experienced trafficking, although that wasn't a prerequisite. Mm-hmm. And we ended up with a fantastic team of five young ladies who create, uh, who completed, excuse me, a six month training curriculum. They, they called it school. They were like, this is great. I mean, and they were paid as employees to attend training. So they were being paid and they would go to school and they had um, different training. And I can, I can go through that as well later. And then they started doing youth awareness in schools, youth shelters, group homes for uh, youth who are in the child care system here in Canada, mm-hmm. um, other Indigenous organizations, migrant youth organizations. They were out in the community. And in the first year alone, they did 40, over 40 presentations to youth with over 2,000 participants. And from those um, presentations, they were able to refer 24 survivors of sexual exploitation to services. Wow. So it, was, um, it really was just such a success. I mean, we, didn't, we knew it was going to be beautiful, but we didn't know just how special this project was. And now third year, we're still going strong. Um, we have, uh, you know, the youth team who are working and our project coordinator, Asha, who now is just starting full time on Monday. So we were able to hire Asha on full time. That's awesome. Yeah. So the project basically looks at how human trafficking, yeah, it's a crime, but it's a human rights abuse. Mm -hmm. And there's no fix, quick fix to human trafficking, right? Right. And Human trafficking and exploitation is a really old story of who is valued more and who is valued less. Mm-hmm. And it thrives in conditions of inequity. And the antidote to that is education. It's the only antidote. And so what our presentation does is it strives to advance equity. It addresses inequities. It talks about the at-risk youth and the targeted youth more than the trafficking 101, more than what to look out for. That info is there, Celia, but it's really about why are youth being targeted and exploited? Mm-hmm. And why is it so hard to traffic an empowered youth? You know, the trafficker will move on to someone else that he doesn't have to spend so much time on. Exactly. If, right? So if we can empower youth to be supported in society, to not experience systemic marginalization and racism, if we can address gender inequities and toxic masculinity and colonialism, then we're cutting trafficking at the root. Mm -hmm. And that's what our youth team does. They go in and they talk about these things. And it is, um, it's really beautiful to see. So we like to zoom out and look at the societal power imbalances. Well, let's, let's unpack that. So what the six month training that they go through 
What does that entail? How many hours a week? And uh, who does the training? Yeah. So we really didn't have a set amount of hours per week. But what we did was we didn't reinvent the wheel. I've been actively involved in the community here in Toronto in uh, human trafficking prevention for a little while. So I have my, you know, community partners and we went across Toronto to the folks that know that specific subject the best and we enlisted them and so they were consultants and paid on the project as trainers or some of them did it uh, in kind because they just were so happy about the project so there were 17 topics Mm. um, that they were trained on but before even creating that curriculum I held a consultation um, that uh basically ask the question, what training would a young person require in order to feel confident as an advocate and facilitate, you know, non-oppressive human trafficking prevention presentations to youth? Mm -hmm. Uh, What knowledge should they have? What will best prepare them? So at this consultation, we invited survivors of human trafficking. We invited survivors of sexual violence, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, staff members of Toronto high schools, feminist groups, crisis centers, frontline workers, LGBTQ2S organizations, the Toronto police was there, city of Toronto staff. And we asked these, you know, questions. And Mm -hmm. through that consultation, we created a 17 training session curriculum. And that included topics from, you know, an overview of human trafficking, both sex Mm -hmm. and labor, Mm -hmm. Um, vulnerable populations and means of control, all that grooming stuff and red flags. And, you know, a lot of the ladies knew because we did have survivors on our team. Mm -hmm. Um, Survivor case studies, how to humanize survivors, forced marriage training, because forced marriage does happen in uh, in Toronto as well. Mm -hmm. Immigration and international human trafficking training from our friends at um, the FCJ Refugee Centre here in Toronto laws and policies and support. So a lot of the human trafficking 101 was done here at Aura Freedom, but then we outsourced, we did gender training, we did toxic masculinity and the bystander approach. We had sexual violence training from the Toronto Rape Crisis Centre. We had HIV AIDS training and those at-risk populations by the AIDS Committee of Toronto. And then presentation skills, public speaking spills, confidence building. Uh, We did a storytelling workshop through body language. There was a lot of anti-oppression. So there was um, indigenous and, you know, colonization awareness, Mm anti-black racism awareness. I am loving this, (laughs) this program. And so how long, uh, do the kids who are hired, the youth who are hired, do they stay on as long as they want to? Is this a one-year uh, project or how does that work? We were funded for a year only, but through a really rigorous fundraising, we've managed to keep the project going for three years in a row. And right now we are actually, um, we've submitted a proposal to our provincial government here in Ontario for more sustainable five-year funding. And we're waiting to hear back on that. Mm-hmm. But we, we've been able to keep it going with, with different fundraising and different grants and things like that. So it's grant-based. 
When the teens go into a place, a school or a program or after school, wherever they're going, how long do they talk to those youth and are those, um, do they cover various topics at various times or is it a one and done deal or how does that work? Well, we only had the one-year funding, so it was a one-and-done deal for the first year. But now, um, in the second year and now, we're looking at, and that was part of our proposal to our government here, was to create a series of presentations or workshops so that we can get through the material, uh, you know, in... um, in a way that is more digestible. What they would originally do is go out and speak to you for about 40 minutes and then have 20 minutes of question and answer, but it's really hands-on. They do um, activities and it is a 101, a human trafficking 101, but most of that time is spent talking about equity and advancing equity and talking about different groups of youth who are more targeted by traffickers and so that youth feel seen and they feel important. And then they feel like maybe I want to open up too, because this, this might be happening to me or my friend right now. And Mm -hmm. my facilitator looks like me and speaks like me. So I'm more comfortable um, reaching out. Mm -hmm. And so it's about a 40 minutes because after that, you know, youth are starting to check out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're not going to listen. I mean, even adults are checking out, right? Do you have boys and girls in the groups, and what what age does it range? So we start in high school. That is, um, I guess, that's fourteen. Yeah, Mm fourteen in high school here. Yeah, and we go right into eighteen or even older because in some of the youth shelters that we go to. Uh, folks are over the age of 18, but they're still youth. They're young. They're under 25 for sure. Um, and they're still in that age bracket to be at risk of being trafficked. But we we see the ripple effects go beyond trafficking because, um, you know, when we look at any type of gender-based violence or exploitation or even just being involved in human trafficking you know, as a trafficker or starting to recruit, um, we, we've seen a difference there as well. I've, I've had young boys come up to me and say, you know, thank you so much for this presentation because I don't want to pimp out my classmates, but I feel pressure to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's a pressure that young men, um, specifically young men are feeling in certain uh, schools to validate their masculinity or their absolutely, gender, you know. You know, I'm excited. I want to know: Do you train other areas in Canada to do this? And um, I know you're only three years old at this point, but do you ever consider going to other countries and training online or anything like that? Absolutely. So, Aura Freedom is six years old, almost seven, but this program itself, the peer prevention project, it's called, is yeah, about three years old. So what we do is we, we also do frontline training. So kind of a, a train the trainer. So we will do frontline training and those are either a half day or full day. And they used to be in person. Uh, we've trained a lot of different agencies here in Toronto. And now um, we've also had requests to go to more remote uh, northern communities like northern Ontario where um, it's uh, yeah it is more remote and communities are smaller 
Mm-hmm. And we can facilitate those online because traveling due to COVID isn't really happening. But once traveling opens up, then yeah, we, 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 we can do that. We are equipped to do that. Do you train uh, other communities to implement the peer prevention project? We could, we never have. And that's something that I think is, we've all been talking about here. This can be replicated anywhere. It can be replicated in your own community. So we can easily set up training. And again, we can do this all on Zoom now where we could walk you through how we created the peer prevention project, our training curriculum, and what our you know, PowerPoint presentation or slideshow looks like. And then that could be adapted to your own community. Um, I mean, I'm thinking that uh, an excellent way to even raise more funds to sustain your project is to package this um, and train other people to implement your your peer project. Because even down to what you said to your city and how you convinced your city to initially invest in it uh, and how you came up with the funds to sustain it um, for the second year and the third year, all of that, you know, in a training, I think would be pretty valuable to somebody in a community that wants to do deeper level prevention work. And I I think it's genius to have the adults um, sort of get the hell out of the way and, or do what they do best. And then, train these youth to do what they do best. And because the way to communicate to other young people uh, is to relate to them. And so being, being that age yourself and being able to share that message in a deeper way, not just this is what human trafficking is. Um, here are the red flags. Here's the number to call. Y'all be safe out there. But it's more, it's deeper. It's more expansive. It's relatable. And I would think that it would be very attractive to other communities. I think, I think it is. And we've, we've had, I mean, we do, I do get emails asking about the project and can you come and train, you know, our agency, it's been more frontline training, but this can be replicated. And in terms of what we said to the city, you know, unfortunately with any type of gender-based violence or things like exploitation and trafficking, unless you're making it fiscal and unless you're putting a dollar sign to it, sometimes folks aren't going to pay attention. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we can say like in the women's sector, we say, Domestic violence alone in Canada costs Canadians $7.4 billion, right? And so unless we're actively preventing this, we're, and, and unless we're actively preventing trafficking, we're just going to have two youth leave a safe house here in Toronto and another three show up. It's going to be just chasing our tails and doing damage control. So unless, you know, what we said was, unless the city of Toronto's anti-trafficking work is looking at the root causes, um, it simply won't be effective. And we, we showed them what these statistics are. And, and we showed them that, yes, anyone could be trafficked. And, you know, people like to say that. Mm-hmm. But really, who is really trafficked are marginalized youth exactly. and vulnerable youth. And, you know, that trafficker is going to find the crack in the surface. Whatever that crack is, he or she will get in and exploit that crack, whether it be 
the youth is part of the child welfare system, they're racialized, they're indigenous, they're just a, a girl who doesn't like the way she looks, mm-hmm. whatever that crack is, right? So um, if, if your programs are not addressing these things and you're just giving internet safety and HT 101, mm-hmm. you're not, you're, you're, you're just not going to be effective. I'm sorry. It's just reality. It's not going to work. Yeah. We need to cut it from the root. So that's what we told the city and we gave them stats and, and we put numbers to it and they, they had no choice but to say, Yes, I, yeah, I love that because yeah, it's it, it is cost effective. It's it's fiscally responsible. I mean, you have to speak their language and mm-hmm. I totally get that. So tell me a little bit about this uh, relentless resilience, which I just love those words go together so beautifully. But tell me what the re- relentless resilience is all about. Relentless Resilience is Aura Freedom's new campaign to end gender-based violence in Canada. So it's a grassroots movement to advance equity, gender, racial equity, and socioeconomic, et cetera, and challenge the patriarchy. So it's based on our report of the same name published earlier this year. And so in February 2020, I wrote and we published Uh, Relentless Resilience, which is a report with a focus on gender-based violence uh, in Canada. Mm -hmm. It calls for holistic change to address the root causes of gender-based violence and exploitation, you know, gender inequity, systemic racism, colonialism, and transphobia, capitalism, all those isms, Mm -hmm. and societal power imbalances that uphold the status quo. It is a raw look, Celia, at gender-based violence on the ground from frontline organizations, frontline workers, researchers, and survivors. We went around uh, across Toronto and different parts of Ontario, and we interviewed um, folks working in the women's sector, human trafficking, and other forms of gender-based violence, from violence against Indigenous women to forced marriage to to sexual violence to um, female genital mutilation. And through it, through these interviews, and it reads a lot like a book, but through the interviews, the report demonstrates how if we don't end gender-based violence, um, we're not going to end a lot of the other social problems out there. And that the violence against women and girls is affecting the entire planet and it's hindering development across the globe, and especially here mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. Of course, our focus was here on Canada, but this can be said in any country. Yeah, so we were accepted to present this report at the um, UN Commission on the Status of Women in New York, and due to COVID, that was cancelled. So we actually are implementing um, a Canada-wide campaign. It's a social media campaign mm-hmm. with an online webinar series uh, to raise awareness of gender-based violence and how we can all be part of the change to end it. We do want to target the average person. So the average person who doesn't work in this space and doesn't know how gender-based violence affects poverty, affects housing, affects homelessness, mm-hmm. food banks, you name it. Um, every single societal issue that we deal with, mental health and addiction, um, a lot of these issues would be solved if we can end gender-based violence. I love that you are talking some upstream strategies, 
some mm-hmm. root cause strategies. So I'm I'm right there with you. So tell me, Marissa, because you've been you've been sort of this advocate for a very long time in different countries and doing all kinds of work, but with with the same mission to end this sort of gender based violence. Mm-hmm. But what would you be doing right now if you were not doing this project right here? What do you think <laughs> you would be doing? Maybe maybe music theater. I think that was my, yeah, my first love as a kid. And it's still a huge love for me. I, I sing once a week in a band. That's my me time. That's my self care. It's awesome for me. So yeah, I'm in a band. My brother's in the band with me. He's a drummer and I, I sing and, um, singing and, and, Theater and, and acting was a big part of my youth growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I was in the, the shelter system as a child with my mom and brother growing up. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. you know, there was violence in our home. And I remember having to be at the shelter at a certain time or they would give our bed away, something that they don't do anymore here in Canada. But um, music and, and acting and just that escape of becoming a different character was always my go-to and that always made me feel good. And so I like people to see that, you know, strong advocates that are working for good in the world, you know, still are people and they still have fun and they still have dreams. So that's very cool. So tell us about your, what's your most exciting day? What has been your most exciting day doing this work? Wow. Hmm. My most exciting day doing this work. I think one of my most exciting days was launching the peer prevention project. So after the six months of training that the youth team uh, completed and watched them go out into the community and run these workshops and do the outreach and Mm -hmm. see the results come in um, and see even within that small group themselves, those five ladies, those young ladies, how... um, how the program supported them as well and the feedback that we got from them. That was, that was a beautiful day. Another beautiful, really beautiful day was when um, we, I was in Nepal doing work in South, South Asia and Nepal. And it was after the earthquake hit and there was an earthquake in 2015 that leveled a lot of Nepal. And um, it was, you know, international news. Yeah, yeah. And I was already involved in some communities there doing some work. And so we received funding from the government of Canada, from Global Affairs Canada, mm-hmm. to open 10 female-friendly spaces in the displacement camps. Oh, wow. We started getting reports back from my partners on the ground there that violence was increasing, child marriage was increasing, trafficking was increasing, um, rape in the camps was increasing. And so something needed to be done. And we consulted with the local women there, um, right there in the, in the camps, in the communities. And we created this female-friendly space project. And we actually, we actually have a photo online photo exhibit of this project. And I can share that link with you because um, it's visually stunning. We had a photographer there as well. And we opened 10 of those female-friendly spaces and like cutting those ribbons and seeing the ladies just come in, feeling safe, 
speaking to women who spoke their their own dialect, their own, you know, tribal dialect and um, getting information of where they can report violence, registering birth certificates and, you know, um, marriage certificates, which they were never able to do so that they could open their own bank accounts, learning about, um, you know, contraception and and other ways that they can um, family plan, learning about child marriage and how it's harmful um, for their children, but learning this not from me, from Aura Freedom in Canada, but from, you know, women in their communities and all of the education was designed right there in Nepal. Um, we just helped put it into motion and funding and kind of the project design, but it was a beaut. That was another beautiful time at Aura Freedom. And we I were- love that. That just makes me, that kind of gives me goosebumps. I could just visually kind of picture what you're talking about. And I would love if you would send me the picture. I want, I would post it in our Emancipation Nation Network. So there are lots of members there that listen to the podcast and I'm sure they would want to see that picture. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. yeah, send it to me. But I hear a continuing theme running through your conversations. And one of them is, um, you know, being respectful across your projects to the people that have the knowledge and the lived experience. I love that. I think that's a lesson that people can take away and not also not thinking that an expert comes in a certain package from a certain building, but Mm -hmm. that it comes from the people that have had the experience. And I love that you not only listen to their voices, but lift their voices up in a way that's empowering because that is you talking about the mission, but you also live in the mission, demonstrating the mission. You know, it's the time of Corona and some people are getting down and not, not sure what they're doing is making a difference. So I wanted to ask about, you know, your most exciting days, because I think those are days that people can maybe relate back to that they've experienced something similar or they're their days to come in the future. So I love that. That's yeah. what it's all about because it's, it's the ripple effects. Again, if you're looking at a quick fix to human trafficking, you're not, you're, 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 you're looking in the wrong direction, putting that education out there, uplifting communities so that they're not, um, you know, targeted because of their vulnerabilities and looking at advancing equity And those are the ripple effects. And you might not be able to see it happening in real time, but just know that it is right. It is the right way of doing it. And I didn't always know this, Celia. And I love the way you said it, you know, like experts don't always look, you know, like the same people or come from the same buildings because no, you know, we can't assume to know what each community needs. And what I found is women know what their communities need to thrive. Women in most cultures are the backbone of society. They carry families on their backs, communities on their backs. They they rear the children, they carry the water. They, they, They know what their communities need to thrive. So we should listen to the grassroots, listen to women. And I am gendering that because I think that in a lot of cultures, including my own, women's voices aren't considered as important. 
And so I think that we need to trust the grassroots and we need to trust the voice of the women on the front lines and even the gender diverse folks on the front lines with what they need for their life. And if we're not doing it, then you're just doing what you want and you're not going to get the results. I would like to say that equity advancing education is key and the ripple effects of that education will be seen for generations to come. And that's how you create systemic, long-lasting change. That's how you empower youth to lead healthy and vibrant lives. We all know what trafficking does and the trauma it causes intergenerationally. So if you're working to advance equity and to uplift communities, you're on the right track. Wow, Marissa is amazing. I am so happy I found her in Canada doing her work. That was an awesome podcast, I thought. What did you think? I thought Marissa was fantastic. The uh, peer prevention project she spoke about, um, that was, that was very, I thought that was very innovative. And I was really inspired by the work that she was doing along with these um, young people she's training. Yeah. I mean, they trained, they took six months to train these people. And she, she had over 40 applicants. I don't even know how they were able to advertise. We didn't cover that of, you know, how she got that many, but she got down to five girls that they trained. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Same. And I thought the six months of training uh, placed value and um, quality on the training that they were receiving and the fact that they were paid uh, to attend the training, to do the trainings, um, that places some value on their role in the community, which I think was well-deserved. Yeah, and they got the funding from the actual city of Toronto. And I just can't imagine <laughs> like that happening here. And, the you know, she said her argument was really a financial one. I thought that was smart. I, I did too. I think a cost-benefit analysis and um, a program that is – is going to go easy on, on a budget and, and save the city administrators money it is always a smart argument. See, cause you're an evaluator. Like you, you think like that. I, I think that's a great idea too. So I'm really um, jealous and selfish. I want her to bring that program to the U S and maybe even around the world because they really covered over 17 topics she talked about. Yeah, I was, I was at all about uh, how per, pervasive her training was uh, with these young folks. And, and she had mentioned um, that their training also was partly uh, the young people going and um, speaking with these groups, mm -hmm. um, foster homes and uh, migrant organizations and mm -hmm. um, indigenous people and, and the treatment providers who work with the groups as well. Um, I thought that was really amazing. Yeah, because they went straight to the targeted groups or the vulnerable groups. And even before they designed these 17 topics, they really talked to all of the stakeholders and it was very, seemed very inclusive. Um, I thought that was awesome. And they only had funding for one year, yet they've been able to stretch it with grants um, to three years. So I, I really hope that they do consider training people in communities all across Canada and the U.S. and elsewhere to be able to implement this. This is really goes way beyond human trafficking 101. 
Oh, most definitely. And and I think the referral of uh, the over 20 survivors to services um, spoke highly of the quality of the training, um, the skill of the youth who are providing the trainings, and um, just the fact that they were able to make uh, folks feel safe enough to disclose that mm-hmm. they had been victimized mm-hmm. um, was was huge. I thought that was very valuable, and I would love to see a program like that in our community. Yeah, I loved when she talked about her two most exciting uh, times in her life, and she had so many uh, that she really had a hard time picking one. So she talked about at least two of them, and that, and the fact that she had been, um, you know, experienced violence as a child, and her family had been in a shelter. I think that really gives her a lot of the authenticity and empathy, you know, that she really had. Um, so I, I just really like her as a person. I did as well. And I, I think, you know, the main message of the main point of her message, which um, I agree with wholeheartedly is um, in order to address a lot of these societal problems and, and violence against women and uh, trafficking and child marriages and sexual assaults, is truly changing the value of women in our society, the way in which we value women in our society. And I think that's the stepping stone that's that's behind a lot of the change that, that does need to happen on a grander scale. I, I love that too. And I think, you know, one of these episodes coming up, I thought about doing it today, but I really want to take a deeper dive into some of the, the words that she threw around. And I know some people assume that Everybody knows what these things mean, like colonialism and toxic masculinity, but we really probably should take an episode and just go through that uh, word by word, line by line, just to, you know, make sure everybody's on the same page. I think that's something I'm going to do in the future. That would be interesting uh, to go to dive into these terms um, and really understand, make it applicable to what we're what mm-hmm. we're doing and and make it digestible that we can all understand these terms in, in our everyday work and lives. Yeah. So thank you again, Marissa. I'm so glad you shared with us and I, I hope we'll be bringing that program to the U S and around the world soon. And if you're interested in finding out more about how to bring that program to your community, email Marissa at M A R. I-S-S-A, Marissa, at Aura Freedom, A-U-R-A, Freedom, F-R-E-E-D-O-M, dot org. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues. <laughs>